Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Pope and Young Podcast. We are joined today by another one of our fantastic corporate partners, longtime corporate partners, longtime supporters. We've got Jim Jim Wingham from Kinetrek Boots. Jim, how are you, man? Very good. Thank you. Now, you are a not only a corporate partner of Pope and Young, but you are personally a supporter of Pope and Young. Um, Jim tells me, Tim tells me that Jim is quite the hunter. Uh, quite a successful hunter, if I will. So I'm excited to dive into this. Uh, but before we do, give us an introduction to yourself and to Kinetrek. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a Montana kid. Uh, uh, lived here all my life. Went to school at Montana State University in mechanical engineering, and uh, then probably went to work for a boot company, which doesn't really jive. You know, there, <laughs> there's. Uh, there's nowhere that I, I got specific training for that, but I worked for the company, the Schnee's boot company, which we primarily did uh, the rubber bottom pack boots. And I basically spent a whole career there. I, when I took the job, it was, uh, it was like, oh yeah, I'm only doing this for, you know, a year or two years until I, you know, find something in my engineering field. And, and it was like 18 and a half years later, uh, they ended up selling the company and, and I had kind of a partner in one ear and a partner in the other ear, uh, you know, saying they really wanted to, you know, do something on our own. And so it was like, well, I don't try now. I don't know, you know, when I will. And so we, we basically, you know, pulled together all of our pennies and I felt like a base jumper going off of a bridge, you know, 
And that was in 2005 that we started Canatrek. And so we've always been a, a hunting boot company and, and, uh, you know, my other, one of my partners is, is also a hunting partner as well. That's, that's, uh, Bob share. Uh, and, uh, he's been, you know, a, a strong supporter as well and, and avid. I mean, we, you know, from Montana as well. And, and, you know, we've bird hunted and big game hunted and, archery hunted you know pretty much ever since high school so and and we're getting a little long in the tooth now so that's a long time <laughs> so yeah. when kenetrek first came out you jump ship kind of make a massive commitment yeah find a partner and usually people jump ship for one of three reasons tired of this company i can build a better product or two, I'm going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> or three, <I> mean. <laughs> sure. Um, let's see. I'm not sure. Should I rank those? <laughs> Probably you know, a little bit of all of them. <laughs> out west, Schnees has got a big name out west still, and I remember it's kind of it, it kind of falls in line with you know some other key things. A lot of big advancements in hunting. Thanks to maybe the internet and and video and and digital media, but that mid nineties to mid two thousands, there were a, a lot of companies that showed up on the market with with new products, and it's interesting to me to see eighteen years later what has fallen off and what has stuck and what has gotten better. Um, right. I think one of the most classic questions on the internet or amongst guys at the fire, you know, around at elk camp, around the fire, next to what's the best caliber in the world to hunt elk with <laughs> is what's your favorite boot? Um, what what made you decide that Canatrek, that boot and what you've designed needed to be out there? What what about it is different, better, or or needed by the industry? Well, back then, uh, there there basically was very few few uh, European boots in the market. You know, I mean, Danner was probably you know one of the dominant companies, and then Cabela's, you know, at that time, you mm -hmm. know, was the other what I'd call you know in the category of mountain boot, uh, mountain hunting type boot. And so, I you know me, I'm, I've always been an avid sheep hunter, you know, and and. And my partner, my one partner as well. I mean, we've both achieved uh, rifle grand slams, and then I went on and and achieved an archery grand slam as well, just because the rifle wasn't hard enough, right? So, <laughs> so it's like, I mean, you talk about an exercise in futility. That's going after sheep with a bow. I mean, it's it's just a, a pretty crazy activity, but. Anyway, I also have bad feet and I'm a taller guy and not the most, you know, athletic or coordinated person in the world. And, and, uh, so for me to have really good footwear, um, uh, became vitally important. And I, and I can remember, you know, like I kind of tell the story of, of the founding of Kenetrek, you know, I was on a doll sheep hunt in the Northwest Territories and, and my, my feet had blistered so poorly and I was wearing good boots at that time. They were made by Vasque and they were actually made in Italy. And, and uh, it was one of the best boots uh, that were available on the market. And I had access to all of them, you know, of course, uh, working for Schnee's and, 
And uh, my feet blistered so bad that they were to the point of gashes. And it was a difficult hunt and it was a wet hunt. And, you know, we're backpacking and, you know, doing 10 plus miles a day for, you know, 10 days. And, and my feet just literally broke down. I mean, to the point of tears. Uh, and, you know, so that was a, a pretty strong motivator. And then to come back to the the base camp and, and, you know, it's those same conversations, you know, everybody's talking about, well, you know, how their boots failed them and, and there's just gotta be a better way. And why can't somebody come up with something that's, uh, you know, that's superior and, and a lot of those same conversations are being had today. I mean, it's the, I think a large part of the problem is that, um, you know, guides are one thing. They they have kind of a different uh, need and hunters have a different need as well. Like for me, most of my time is spent sitting at this desk that I'm talking to you, you know, right now. And for me to then all of a sudden throw a, you know, 80 pound pack on my back and decide that, okay, I'm going to be able to cover 10 miles a day in the mountains. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the thing is, your feet aren't tough. You know, your your mind isn't tough. Your body isn't tough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that that that's kind of a motivating factor. But I, I knew that there had to be a better way. And, you know, with my engineering background and then I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well. And so all the way along. You know, I, I recognized that there was a, a niche in the marketplace that was not being fully covered. And that was for this, the, you know, the mountain hunter. Like if you look in, in the European sense, you know, our boots would be called more of an approach boot. You know, they're okay. not a full mountaineering boot. They're much more comfortable, much more flexible than the old stiff, you know, crampon compatible uh, almost like the plastic boots. Do you remember the trend of plastic boots uh, uh, back in the 80s and early 90s? Uh, and, you know, those boots are so stiff that uh, they they just aren't a, a realistic solution. Maybe for a guy that learns how to walk in and wears them, you know, every day, um, that, you know, that, that can be a wonderful solution for them. But for the average hunter to go out, it, that's almost an impossible solution. So, what we've really tried to do is develop a boot that provides, uh, you know, incredible support, uh, but then is also light and, and light in weight, you know, like the like the whole uh, Kuyu trend or the Sitka trend, you know, to have modern materials that are lighter in weight than the old wool, you know, of, of previous generations. And. And, you know, I mean, you sacrifice some durability with some of those products, but by and large, it it makes your life a heck of a lot more comfortable uh, to have, you know, really good uh, insulating base layers, you know, the, the insulating mid layer, and then some type of a waterproof membrane over the top. You know, I mean, that, that uh, system has really improved over the last few decades. Um, and so footwear was... Uh, was very similar, you know, in that regard. And then having the, uh, the idea of this perfect boot or to get it as perfect as we possibly could just started us on this long journey. And we've changed the, our design, modified our design, tweaked it, 
enhanced materials, uh, manufacturing processes. I mean, the boots that we make today are by far the, the best ones that we've ever done. Uh, now, I, I will say, and I this is a disclaimer, Dylan, I have no idea what you mean when you say diehard sheep fan. It's kind of like a fairy tale for us. We've never gone, maybe never will. Dylan probably will. He's a young cat. But uh, um, you're up at sheep camp, your feet are tore up, and yeah. you're with a guide, right? Yeah. No? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's What's he wearing? What's he wearing up there? Moccasins? I mean, is he not in <laughs> is he not in some really fancy expensive Italian boot and his feet are fine? Yeah, I mean, you know, at that time it was, you know, kind of the dominant player in the marketplace was Mindel. Uh, and Cabela's had the exclusive uh rights to import Mindel into the United States. Uh, and so the the boots that those Canadian guides could purchase were a much, much higher quality boot, you know, because they tended to be a little bit more of a price point conscious sure. market. <laughs> so they would take, uh, you know, the top level sheep guide Mindel boot and they'd say, OK, well, you know, maybe that's four hundred dollars. And they're like, well, we want that to be two ninety five. Right. And so obviously those are two vastly different products. and so. Um, what the hunter could purchase in the United States was vastly different than what the Canadian guide could purchase at that time. Interesting. See, that's all marketing, Dylan. This should be right up your alley. Um, yeah, it is. So tell me this. Now we're jumping way forward. Now you go on your sheep hunts. Mm -hmm. You're up in the mountains, chasing mountain care, whatever it is. And now you're in your Ketatrek boots. You're older, your body and your feet still sit at the desk and you face the same challenges of Maybe my body's not conditioned and ready, but are your feet lasting better? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot. Way better. <laughs> Way better. I mean, and, and our customers will be the, you know, the ones to claim that the loudest. I mean, the, the, I mean, they, you know, like, like we've then, so we started with this mountain hunting boot and then it's, you know, with our company, it's branched off into orthopedic boots where we've got removable, you know, nylon stays that, you know, so it's almost like a brace and a boot built into one. And the the testimonials that we get from our customers and a lot of our veterans, you know, the VA, we move a, a lot of, of of that product through the uh, the Veterans Administration, and and I mean, you know, we, we we just get these these testimonials like you've given me my life back, or you've turned the clock back ten years, or I thought my days in the mountains were done, and they're you know I I feel like I'm you know I can go back and hit it again, you know, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of the most, uh, uh, wonderful things about my job is to, to receive that feedback, you know, from our customers and many of them, I mean, so the, once they, once they, uh, decide that, and, and they don't fit everybody, you know, everybody's feet are different, but once somebody, uh, fits that boot and, uh, they just fall in love with it and they'll, they'll just wear them the rest of their life basically and so it makes a very very diehard customer base um which is i think i i think i said it um before we got going that um it takes hard lessons to learn that there's key things that you just don't skimp on in the hunting aspect of life optics and and i mentioned boots i bought cheaper boots i bought what i could afford i had a price point i tried to stay local i had all these different boots that they leaked, but I was young. My my my. Despite many stupid accidents I've had in my life, 
my feet were fine. And then I broke my ankles each a couple times and then had a back surgery and I had lost a lot of uh, um, nerve with due to nerve damage, some, some mobility in my leg. And I went to an expensive boot about six years ago. And I'm on my second pair. I like them, but I had to buy two pair the last time or the first time because one needed to be a half a size bigger. My left leg needed to be bigger because my ankle is just a mess. And so this will be uh, something new for you, Dale. I haven't told you the story yet, but I reached out to Jim a week ago and said, hey, I just had surgery. I'm it's a boot purchasing year. I cannot get this leg in a boot probably in the next year. Um, and my biggest fear is going through six to eight more years of miserableness in the woods and, and without support. And I was trying to put a brace inside of another boot. And I read about your Everstep boot. And, you know, I, I, I'm a skeptical person. I'm like, I called you, I emailed you, I said, Give me more than just the marketing pitch on the website, because whether it's testimonials or experience or whatever, you're, this is a it's a big purchase, and when it's a big purchase and it and it isn't at all what I thought it was, I, I'd rather avoid that. And so I'm so excited for those those boots to arrive. I'm so excited to try them. Um, I know I'm in a walking boot now. I may be till January, but as soon as I can squeeze a boot on. I really can't wait to internally compare them to every other boot I've ever tried and, and give you that feedback as a customer. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I, I think you'll find that there, I mean, I've just heard this, this uh, same, you know, prognosis over and over and over. I mean, many, many hundreds of times. And, and uh, it really is a combination. That particular product is, is the combination of that, you know, like a typical Arizona easy brace, which is just, it is just uh very, you know, I mean, it, it serves its purpose, you know, it completely isolates that ankle joint and there's no lateral motion whatsoever. There's actually not very good ambulation, you know, I mean, you almost kind of reflexing more with your knees and your hips. And I mean, it, you definitely don't want to walk a long ways with that. I mean, it does secure the joint. Uh, but what I think what you'll find is it it is the a beautiful combination of both the ankle brace and the boot, you know, kind of put together. Now, what do you equate? And we're not talking sheep country here, but the last two Western hunts I've been on, uh, and and both guys, um, one was a, a professional outfitter, and one was well known in the industry. Uh, for being a Western guy. What, what was the guys from SNS Archery there in Idaho? Mm-hmm. And the last two hunts I've went on, you know, I'm I'm coming in from Kansas, flatland, Ooh, and, yeah. and and I've got a pair of you know four hundred dollar Italian boots on, and they're Rocks. rocking some they're rocking <laughs> some like ultra, you know, like speed running shoes. Sure. And and both times, you know, the first time I was like, oh well, this group of guys, that's what they've come to find, and then. You know, the next time, and and I've talked to Alan Bolin, um, you know, who's heavily involved in Pope and Young, and and he runs an ultra, like a, a a shoe, a tennis shoe, and I I can't wrap my head around that, but it seems like that's kind of on the rage of like fast pace, just you know, a running shoe for hunting out west. Yeah, it. I mean, it. There is different schools of thought. I mean, like I liken that to uh, 
I don't know if you remember the Olympic trend of barefoot runners. Yeah. Remember that at all? The same, kind of, same kind of silly nonsense going on there, right? Very trendy, yeah. super fast. I mean, there's no question. I mean, it's super light, super fast. But as far as uh, ankle and as far, you know, as well, you know, Tim, as far as blowing out your ankle, I mean, you throw weight on your back. I mean, that's that's one of my biggest fears is, you know, packing off of a mountain and you've got 80 or 100 pounds on your back and you do one misstep. I mean, that that shoe's complete. You, there, there's there's no way that that shoe, that ultralight shoe can perform and keep you safe. There's just no there's no physical possibility. Or if yeah. you go sheep hunting, you know, to the Northwest Territories, I mean, you can get away with that with with, uh, you know, elk hunting or or, you know, super light pack, like just the, you know, like, like I'm talking about, you know, your lunch and rain gear or something on your back. I mean, to where, you know, you're fast and, and you're skilled. And the other thing is some people have incredibly strong ankles, you know, and and uh, that's a, a big part of it as well. Um, but I'll tell well, like for me, for example, like I just, we had a, a pipe break in, in my basement and, you know, flooded kind of our, our, you know, we have a golf simulator in the house there and flooded all that. And so anyway, I was just working over the weekend, you know, and I happened to just throw on some Johnson and Murphy's, which would be just like that, right? They're super spongy outsole, you know, real light uh, mesh canvas upper. And I'm thinking, oh, th those will be great, you know, because I'm up and down and they're light and, you know, spongy and stuff. My feet hurt so bad by the end of that climbing ladder, which is similar to walking around on the rock pile, right? I, I mean, I, I was just like, oh, my gosh, what did I do to myself, you know? Just one day of on your feet all day long and I'm carrying stuff and I'm lifting stuff and, you know, putting sheetrock up and you know, a lot of the things that are similar to what you would experience on a mountain hunt. And I'm telling you, my feet were in agony. You know, I could feel it in my arches, you know, climbing up and down the ladder. I mean, so uh, two different schools of thought, definitely. But I, but I will tell you that is a, that's a major sin of youth. <laughs> I will it tell is. you that. I look at, I look at as a kid, I ran around in Stan Smith. And then yep. after football practice, I wore my, what we called turf shoes back then. You wouldn't wear them on turf today, but they weren't, they weren't grass cleats. They were more of a rubber air bob style of football shoe. So we'd go right from practice and I hunted in those. I can't tell you for how many years all through college. And I'd love the mobility. My ankles were strong. They were light. I could feel the rocks. I was quieter. And I, I dream back to those days where. Yeah. <laughs> Where that didn't hurt. And yes, then I went yes. through this period of time where I didn't realize what my problems were, were my feet and orthotics and not taking care of my lumbar. I just didn't know until you, do you have a bad, you know, right. back right. injury? And now I, I can't really walk through the house barefoot without yes. craving that shoe that feels so great. And I have looked at those shoes that you love, Dale, and I, I'm saving up money for him, but Dylan has a pair of shoes that he just swears by. But just as you get older, may, maybe it's not as you get older, but for me, as I've gotten older, needing that orthotic, that support, and now with this one particular leg, and you don't want to go tennis shoe boots, so you wear them both, having this one ankle that just needs so much support. In Idaho, I killed a bull in a hole 
And then I thought I was going to motorcycle down this trail to it, blow downs everywhere, wreck the motorcycle. My buddy has to spend two days MacGyvering getting it out. So now I'm packing the whole elk out for three days. And what you learn with a bad left ankle is you cannot have that foot on the downhill side. You cannot. So you have to pack out right foot down. And if your camp's over here, you're adding on mileage and you fear every step. And I, I used to laugh at, at walking sticks. Although I was a cross-country skier <laughs> for a couple of years, yeah. I used to laugh at them. Dude, if, if I didn't have walking sticks to pack out, it wouldn't come out. It just wouldn't. And right. yeah, lose some weight, Tim. And, and now that I have a reconstructed ankle, maybe that'll be better. But having a boot at a price point, I get, I get the marketing of that. But building a product that's needed, um, I've just, I've just always sort of laughed at products that like, man, if it just did this, and I'm not just talking boots, I'm talking a lot of different things. If, if it was just this, and I think that's how so many new products in the last two decades in the hunting industry are made because somebody said, I want something that does this. I want it better. And I don't know why I've noticed such a flux, but, uh, Again, I'm excited to try these boots. Um, Canatrex isn't just a boot company. I, there's other products, right? Right. I mean, we sell, obviously, a lot of accessories. We sell uh, gaiters. We've sold those for many, many years uh, in, in socks, you know, to accompany the boots and waterproofing. But then we also sell consumer direct because we have a pretty robust, you know, we sell to a lot of dealers, over 500 dealers in the U.S., uh, in Canada. And... But, you know, a lot of the, the dealers carry, you know, maybe three boots. Some of them carry the whole entire line, you know, which now is approaching 30 different uh, styles. You know, we have steel toes and uh, wildland fire boots and, you know, very specific products for, for very specific needs that we've grown into over the years. Uh, and then we also sell, you know, we do a consumer direct business where we sell Sitka and and Everly Stock and Stone Glacier and you know some of the major brands that accompany uh, that type of customer that's basically going on the mountain hunt just what I would call the mountain hunter. Uh, and pairing and pairing those types of products together that's yeah. that's great. <laughs> and they're, yeah, all, I, they're all products that I've used myself. You know that have that have kind of gone through the tests of time. You know it's not like we're we're doing flashy new things. I mean, I try to make certain that I've tried everything out and they're, they're totally legit, you know, because a lot of times it's my reputation on the line as well. Like I, I don't want to just sell somebody something and have it fail. You know, it's like, I want, right. I want to say, Hey, this is the very best game bag that I've ever used, you know? And, and so then we'll offer that. Awesome. So Ken Trex is in Montana. We're at Montana. Are you, how many We're employees in- are, we're in Bozeman, you know, in with Bozeman. All, all of the other outdoor companies, the little mega, <laughs> mega in, <laughs> little outdoor fire huh? over here. Yeah, no kidding. One uh, bad glass of water and the whole industry has gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. how big a place? How big is the facility? How many employees? What's it? Uh, how's it all run? Uh, we're out to the west of town. So we're right. Uh, ironically, we're right behind Sims, the big uh, 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 fly fishing waiter company where they're our neighbors so we're right behind them uh to the west of town um we have 22 you know 22 to 25 employees and that's not counting uh uh independent sales reps and things like that and a lot of pro staff that does shows 
the shows have been a real important part of of our marketing you know i mean you take pictures of a boot and you throw, you know, four or five different boots together. Well, it's very hard, you know, for the consumer to look and say, well, what's different about them? And so by us going out, we actually take a fitting stock. And so that we actually can go out and spend some time with our customers and have them actually try on the boots so that they get the precision of having an expert fit them. And then to also have an understanding for what this boot feels like, you know, how to fit it properly and, you know, what they can expect. And and that has made a huge difference to our business. I can't tell you how many tens of thousands of pairs of boots I've tried on, you know, our customers over the years. So a guy could drive through Montana, go, oh, I'm in Bozeman. I could swing in and and I don't even know about factory tour, but he could get a custom fit right there yeah understand his foot better and how it relates to the kinetric yeah and we really try to train our our people you know i mean it's like our i mean it's just it's one of the best customer services that we can do is to train our folks so that they they're very knowledgeable they all wear the product they really understand it and they have uh you know a lot of experience versus you know anywhere else i mean it's like they've they've dealt with many 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 customers over the years sure well before we jump to popignon and and uh and archery hunting because that's what we're all about i will say that my physical therapist i'm going to today he is excited to see and hear about this boot once i get it he deals with customers can you even imagine the number of ankles that go through a bend organ size physical therapy operation and they're looking for a boot as well i mean so many people in this town yes hike that mm-hmm. um hopefully hopefully they will love it as well and and i'll let you know how that goes um now jumping to pope and young um one of the things i was telling dylan about i said not just Kendrick, but we talk dylan and i when we sit around and drink pop at shows we're like Hey, the big 29, we're never going to achieve that. I mean, you can't even hunt Quebec Labrador anymore. But right. he said, he, he don't ask me, so how many people have achieved the 29? I had to do some research and I started going through some names and how many people have like taken this animal and this animal and this animal. And it's surprising how little the number really is as far as 12 and young accepted. Is it 12? It's, it's under 20. And oh. I think. I think Jim's on his way, but I can't remember if you've got a Quebec or not. I do, yeah. Yeah, Well, I was able to get in there before they, they shut that down. I know you're at 12 species right now, I checked the other day, that have qualified and been accepted for Boone and Crockett. Mm-hmm. You may have killed other species that maybe didn't qualify for Boone and Crockett, and I haven't yeah. obviously looked you up in, in uh, I mean, Pope and Young, I haven't looked you up in Boone and Crockett yet, but... Uh, How's that going? Was that a quest? Was that the goal? Or was it, hey, I just love sheep and now I'm going to be yeah, up here doing caribou and... Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, living in Montana, I mean, was was really a huge advantage. I mean, maybe, you know, Alaska probably has a bit of an edge, but we have a lot of species in Montana. And, you know, one thing, you know, I never, I, I don't know, like I, I just grew up uh, hunting and, and, you know, started as a rifle hunter, obviously, and a, you know, bird hunter, waterfowl hunter. Uh, and then I started bow hunting, uh, boy, 
I think I started when I was 14 years old. So I've been a bow hunter for a long time, you know, old bracket compound bow <laughs> that uh, is just amazing. It goes, you know? yeah. You <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steel cables with big metal teardrops on them, you know, I mean, just, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time and, and uh, just one thing led to another and, and it, you know, my love for bow hunting is a, like I like I jokingly say that you know every time I bow hunt I wish I had a rifle you know because it's so frustrating and difficult to get close but there's nothing quite like it I mean as far as the challenge the experience the uh the fulfillment I mean there's there's some years I, I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday as a matter of fact and and he was asking me like well you know, what, what is your measure of success? You know, do you have to kill an animal? Do you have to be successful with a harvest? And I'm like, you know, there's some years that I don't even draw my bow. I mean, in a, in a hunting (laughs) situation, I mean, like you just literally, like you may put an arrow on the string, but you never have an opportunity to draw. But sometimes those are my most successful years because you're in, in that zone with, with the animals. And, and like I say, I've been hunting for a long time and my experiences are just all over the board. I mean, you know, I've had elk slobber on me and I mean, just ridiculous close encounters that you would never get to experience, you know, in rifle hunting because, you know, you're going to take the first reasonable shot or or successful shot that you can. And and with the boat, I can remember doll sheep hunting and you know, we had a, a, this was again in the Northwest Territories and had a wonderful ram and he's at a hundred yards away. I mean, like with my rifle, I could shoot him in the eye, you know, I mean, it, like you're done with that honey. He has no idea that we're there. And with a bow, he might as well be on the moon, right? I mean, you haven't right. even started, right? Yeah. And, and you're, and we're stuck and there's nothing that we could do. And it's just like, oh, this is so difficult. You know, I mean, the, the, the difficulty is is uh, exponentially harder, you know, with with a bow. But again, that that fulfillment is is uh, a lot better, you know, when it does happen. And all of the close encounters too. Like I say, uh, my measure of success isn't, you know, maybe that that's a, a bad bow hunter sign of a bad bow hunter. <laughs> my measure of success isn't necessarily always killing something, you know, because. Because I, I would go hungry a lot if I had to rely on it for eating. Well, I think Fred Bear had a quote somewhere along the lines of, if you measure it that way, then you've missed the point of bow hunting or something yeah, like that. That's, yeah, that's for, that's for sure. That's that's 100% well, that, accurate. That ideology is exactly what, you know, rifle hunters don't get. Like, they don't understand. And I grew up in, in southern Arkansas where duck hunting is king. Yeah. And they don't get it. You know, they're like, well, I can shoot six birds every morning and you're going to hopefully kill one deer a year. Like that just doesn't add up for them. Sure. Yeah. But man, to, to do it, you got to be wired a little different. You got to be just, you know, a little bit dumb to be honest. Um, but it just takes <laughs> yes. that grit. Like it, it takes that determination and that, you know what, it is going to suck. And I might drive, you know, 2,400 miles and spend 10 days away from home and hike 46 miles to not shoot an animal. But I'm going to have a whole lot of fun, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah it's it's sure. just a different, it's a different ideology. And so it's not, you know, you said you think that's the measure of a bad bow hunter. That's the measure of a bow hunter that is doing it for the right reasons, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion. Um, 
you know, if 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 somebody says, "Man, I just want to kill a lot of animals," well, then bow hunting's not for you. Right. It's just not. Right. Right. Um, it, it, man, I just want to kill a new world record. Then don't try it with a bow. Like that's you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I would say it's the measure of somebody doing it for the right reasons, not not the opposite. Yeah, I shot a uh, uh, eastern Canada moose in Newfoundland this this last fall, and and uh, uh, my guy Daniel, you know, was was behind me, and and there was a bull that you know he had gone up and bedded up on this this top, and there was this horrible plant called tuckamore i think that's what they call it anyway it's the most god awful i mean shin tangle evergreen you can't even walk through it you know and and i'm like well he's he's just up above can i take off my boots and try to slide through he's like you'll never get through it you cannot walk don't through take that. your boots off yeah it's just like you'll never be able to get through it because he's up above and he says i think if we get close enough and i stay back a couple hundred yards i'll I'll try to scrape and and get that bull to come in. And anyway, long story short, it worked like magic, and I kind of intercepted in between. And that bull was uh, came down. And the only time I could hear him coming through that stuff was when he would stop to to rake. And anyway, long story short, he ended up. I finally saw him at five yards in front of me. Oh my gosh! And I'm like. Too close, too close. And you mean like, a, a bull moose at five yards? You didn't see him until five yards. How? What kind of so jungle thick. are you in? Oh, it's a terrible jungle, and I'm on the outside of it, you know. And so, and I only see his horn tips, right? Because he's kind of down in a in a little hollow, and I see these horn tips, and he's five yards away, and I'm just like too close, too close. And so I'm like trying to sidestep to gain a little distance, you know, because he's going to come right on top of me. And anyway, he finally comes out and his eyes are rolled back in his head and he's he's rocking and the poor guy's out there, you know, trying to act like a bull and he has no cover at all. And and I, you know, I drew back and it was broadside and I shot that bull through the top of the heart at, at 12 yards broadside. And I mean, a moose broadside at 12. That's a big target. Even I couldn't miss that. And and my arrow right goes right through him and he didn't even respond. He didn't even look at me or anything. He just, his eyes were rolled back and he's just going to kill that guy. And uh, I'm like, did I miss? I'm like, I couldn't have missed. <laughs> I mean, you know, but he just had zero reaction, you know, and, and anyway, I ended up putting another arrow on and, and uh, shot again. And he, then he did turn and kind of ran and collapsed. But I, I mean, I was so, excited i mean this is a like i've killed a lot of animals in my life you know and and i just literally collapsed you know because i just my knees started shaking and i fell on my my face and guy comes running over he's like are you okay and i'm like i don't know and anyway he says i thought you had a heart attack i said i think i kind of (laughs) did just just unbelievable experience and so i still i still enjoy it as much as i did you know, right from my first years. That's awesome. That's exciting. That is so exciting. So again, getting back to uh, you know the 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 twenty nine. Um, you know, having taken so many of the difficult species, you know the the hard to hunts, the sheep and and the caribou, and and, and now you know this. And a polar bear. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't imagine what that hunt was like. What uh, do you find that any of those hunts 
when you come back home and now you've just got a lowly Montana elk tag or you're going to go whitetail hunting in the Milk River or something like that. Do you find that any of those extreme hunts take away any of your love affair with the thing that you grew up on? I mean, where did you grow up on elk and mule deer in being yeah. in that area? Yeah. yeah and in pronghorn. I mean, you know, I mean, from Montana, we've, we've done a lot of that, but I, I don't know. I, I, you know, my favorite hunt, I always say is the next one, you know? And so sure. it's that anticipation and like, I, I have a hunt in Kansas book next year, you know, which I absolutely love, you know, sitting in a tree stand. I, uh, actually next week I'm going to Arizona for a, for a try for a coos deer, you know, and, and I got a buddy there that's, you know, he, he says, I found a tree. It's one tree on the whole entire ranch. So he says, don't complain about how crooked it is. So I'm like, oh boy, I'll be, I'll be like at a 40 degree angle. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I might be taking a tree saddle for that one. But uh, yeah. anyway, I, I anticipate that as well. And so I, I, like I say, I've been around a long time and my, and I never really thought about the, I think every bow hunter kind of in the back of their mind, maybe deep, 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 you know, has the you know that that idea that someday they'd like to go and pursue a different species and and with me it you know started with the sheep and you know I like I say achieved a, a grand slam with a rifle and then I was like oh wow I got two of these with a bow and so then one thing led to another and you know I found that okay I achieved that and then once I had that I was kind of like huh I've got quite a few on this list you know of, of all you know after Chuck Adams kind of started that whole, that whole nonsense of the super slam. <laughs> um, Blame you know, it on Chuck. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like uh, one thing has kind of led to another and, and, and to me, it's like, well, there's the species, but then it's really important to me to get it with archery, you know, would be kind of the second level. And then the third final level to me is Pope and young to have a Pope and young, uh, uh, qualifying animal, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's really quite something. And so, you know, I, I don't know, it just gives you goals. I don't know whether I'll ever achieve it or not, but it kind of gives me a direction. And, and so now I find myself like, like this last year, I took three species, you know, I took, uh, the Canada moose, uh, the, the woodland caribou and the central barren ground caribou. I mean, nice, Jeez. you know, cause, cause I had these hunts all jammed up because of COVID. Right. And then they all come at once and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I don't feel exhaustion. sorry for you. I don't either. I sat here with a broken ankle. You don't yeah, trade you uh, any day. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to sit here and feel sorry for you. I'm sorry. The sympathy card's not in the mail. <laughs> yeah. So I have I have left at this point in time. I have uh, basically only four left as far as the species, you know, with the bow goes, and that's uh, the two bears, a, a brown bear, grizzly, uh, the tule elk, and the coos deer. You know, so that's really the the only four that I have left. Now there's always upgrades, right? Sure, uh, sure. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. want to go back and you know try to achieve Pope and Young with all of them, but. Yeah, I've had some incredible drawing luck and, uh, you know, both drawing permits and winning hunts and just, just ridiculous. I think yeah, I'm definitely the luckiest hunter that I've ever heard of. I think I'm 
at somewhere around 30 hunts that I've won or drawn that I would call once in a lifetime. Oh my God. I'm at zero. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, uh, and my wife says you need to quit, you know, putting in for any of these drawings because you're giving Kenetrek a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) You can start writing my name down though. if you want. I made the mistake of, of like you just said, and hopefully it didn't jinx you. I made the mistake. In June or July, I told this on the on the podcast yesterday that I was talking with somebody about broken bones. I said, well, I've never broken my leg. And I broke my ankle before, but I broke my leg and my ankle this time. So now my new thing is I've never won the lottery. And Dill and I had a great long conversation about how horrible it would be that you'd have so much money that you could go hunting everywhere you wanted. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh when you're in Kansas, hopefully you're nowhere near, near Dylan because apparently he's shooting all the deer down there in that part of Kansas, and and <laughs> yeah. uh, so hopefully you're you're, you're not I'm near the him. King. I'm the king of 120s, bro. If you're wanting to kill 120s, <laughs> they ain't around here. But remember, they used to be 140s till you learned a little bit about measuring. <laughs> all, all of my uh, all, all the deer on my property. It's funny because all the deer on my property are either smaller than 120 or bigger than 120. But the 120s come out first, so that's what I shoot all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, still, I, I still get just super excited to shoot a 120 buck. I mean, that's, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, that's a that's a big buck from where I come from. Yeah, I'm t- I just like to kill stuff, man. I, yeah, I, you know, that I've killer... got an itchy finger. Oh, yes. Me too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me too. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely well, I'll tell you, more like Fred Eichler than Alan Bolin. <laughs> yeah. Boy, Alan can you really what. pass stuff up. God bless oh, him. I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I'll tell you what... Uh, my son, um, who is five years old, he is a butthead beyond belief. Um, nobody would ever look at my boy and be like, oh, that kid's a smart kid. Like, he's the type of kid that, like, is outside with a lighter, lighting stuff on fire at five. Like, it, he's a banshee. But he was with me when I shot my deer a couple weeks ago. And um, the deer is a, a 120, 120 deer. And... uh I shot a deer in a ground blind with my son. We decoyed this deer in. It was like the most, we were on cloud nine. And so I FaceTime my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, Tucker wants to tell you something. And Tucker just starts screaming. We just shot a buck. We just shot a buck. It was the most surreal moment ever. And so my dad, you know, is is cheering with my son. And uh, we finally start to walk through the woods. My dad says, so is it a big one? And I said, no, not really. And uh, he said, dude, when are you going to start killing big ones? And, uh, my son, I'll never forget this. My son goes, yeah, but it's a buck pop pop. And I was like, yeah, it is like, <laughs> that's right. And I, you know, I just, we, and Hey, we're all about big animals. I mean, we obviously love big animals, but man, just shoot what makes you happy, dude. And when that one twenty come out, my son said, Oh my gosh, can we shoot him dad? I'm like, we absolutely can. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a miracle that you pulled that off down. Cause I know at his oh, age still, gosh. he's. He's loud and he's he moves and stuff like that. So that that was well, a great was funny to get on the phone. That was great. It was funny because literally, like, I and if I, I had a decoy out, luckily I had a decoy because uh, that buck was locked in on that decoy. Um, because we're in a ground bond, we're ground level with this deer, and I, and he came out about 125 yards, and I said, "Bub, look, there's a buck out there." I said, "Don't move," and he of course he immediately pops up and looks out the window. I'm like, "No, don't move." And so he went back to just doing whatever he's doing. I said, bub, he's coming now. He's coming closer. And I would say, but don't move. And of course, when he hears don't move, 
He would pop his head out of the blind. And I'm like, dude, you've got to quit doing that, bro. You've got to sure. stop. And, uh, but sure enough, his, he just kept his popping his head out. His question is, why? Yeah. <laughs> Don't move. Why? Yeah. And so, um, sure enough, had I not had a decoy, there's no possible way. Um, but that, that buck was so laser focused on fighting that buck that, that, uh, he didn't notice Tucker's head popping out of the blind. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience for sure. And it's something that I will, uh, never forget. And first words out of his mouth were dad, can we eat his body? And I'm like, absolutely we can. <laughs> Second words out of his mouth were dad, can I put his head on my wall? And I'm like, absolutely we can. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> well, now in this all back around to Pope and Young, um, Obviously, we know you're accomplished center. We know you've got an ex- extremely um, successful business. What what was it that brought you to Pope and Young? Was it just a record book entry? Was it what was it something about Pope and Young? What is Pope and Young in in your perspective, Jim? What's it mean to you? And and what does it mean to you and Kenetrix as a company in the hunting industry? to be involved in some sort of way with, with Pope and Young. Well, I mean, to me, Pope, you know, and I've been a member. I mean, if you look back, I've, I've been a member, dropped my member, you know, I mean, forgot to send in my renewals and uh, I've done that forever. I mean, way, way back. And, and, you know, originally it was, it was the mainly the scoring entries. Uh, But as I've gotten older, it, uh, the, the, the membership is the incredible part because we're talking about, you know, bow hunters and the passion. Um, and I mean, there's just a solidarity with that membership that, that I feel that it, it's amazing how similar, you know, once everybody has kind of gone through the struggles of being a bow hunter, and then there's a lot of bow hunters that are not members of Pope and Young, but boy, I mean, by the time you become a member of Pope and Young, you're, you're pretty committed you know, to, uh, to the sport, uh, in everything that we love about it. And so there's that similarity that, that common, you know, ideals that, that we kind of all share. And, and like you say, some people are, you know, never trophy hunters and, and that's fine. I mean, like everybody appreciates uh, big stuff, but, um, you know, some people are way more serious about that than others, but the overall conservation, uh, you know, the North American conservation model to me has been just a, a vital thing. And, and I, I feel very fortunate that I, that we've got a company that we can give back, so to speak. Uh, and we do a ridiculous amount of banquets. I mean, it's, it's millions and millions of dollars, you know, that, that we I can't have, even imagine have given back over the years, you know, I mean, um, you know, as as far as boots at banquets and that's whether it's sheep foundation, elk foundation, turkey federation. I mean, all, I mean, we we try to support them all, you know, as much as we can. Uh, and 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 that's a, I mean, to me, that's a real privilege and an honor to be able to do that. And of course, Pope and Young, because of my, you know, my personal uh, um, love is is uh, very near and dear to my heart. So happy to do it great you know we're getting close to that close to the end of that hour um i don't always ask a question at near the end here but by gosh our last podcast it kind of drummed up something i'm going to ask everybody because 
I don't know if I walk with my head down in the woods or or what it is, but uh, we got on the talk of, topic of finding strange things in the woods. Maybe you pick things up. I pick up rocks from wherever I go. There's something about that rock look cool put in my pocket. And I hang on to it. I get home, put it in a jar. It's weird. And well, I found your pack so heavy when you get back. It ain't because you got meat in the pack. <laughs> That's why you blew your ankle. I'm just working out. I'm just working out. Yeah. But I've also found some odd things out in the woods. We were talking about this this uh, backbone, the steel backbone of a knife that I found one time. And then the other weird thing that kind of draws me to this next question is that for some reason, I keep track of how many Mylar balloons I find during a hunting season. And that means, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. January 1 to December 31st. What what what's the weirdest thing you've ever found? And it doesn't have to be a balloon, you know. What's the weirdest thing? Excuse me, you've ever found in a when you're on a hunt that uh, that you either remember or that you picked up. Um, I've I've actually got two two things that are are that I found on the same hunt, which I thought were were uh, pretty interesting. And the first one was this was in New Mexico, and I was hunting for Barbary sheep. And so I found a white, um, I can't remember what the substance is, but an, an old uh, native uh, arrowhead, oh, right? Wow. Uh, like way out in the desert. And it was, a, a you know, like a, it's the regular flake, you know, like a lot of times you see the darker ones, but this one's like bone white. Uh, and so I'm not sure exactly what that rock is. And just the tip was broken off a little bit and, and no, you know, nothing left. So this is really, really old. And then within a few feet of that, I found a 50 caliber casing that had been out there forever. I mean, it was like black. It's so tarnished. And I actually looked at that and I thought, who in their bright mind would be carrying a 50 caliber out here? It makes no sense. And so I actually talked to my brother or uh, my son-in-law and, and he said, you know, you can look at the back of that casing and decide, find out where that came from. And I looked it up and sure enough, it was uh, 1941, came out of, a, a, I can't remember what it was, a B, B-52, I think. Yeah. And they were doing uh, bombing runs, you know, coming out of the base in Texas before World War II. And the reason I looked at it is because it had a, like a mar on the bottom of the casing. And I'm trying to picture what in the world would have happened, you know, to cause that. And then I'm thinking, I'll bet it came out of an airplane. And sure enough, you're able to, like, it was produced in 1941 in, uh, you know, a, cool. one of five million shells, you know. And I thought, how ironic. Found those two within 100 yards of each other in That's the middle really of the cool. New Mexico desert there. That's um, really cool. We just had a similar topic discussion on the last podcast. Really? Yeah, I found one. I found one out hunting antelope in Oregon. I'm like, but I thought it was a little bigger than 50 cal. And and after I did some research, I found a guy that said, oh, yeah, we find lots of them. You know, Klamath Air Force Base, they used to come out and train. Sure. Yeah. And they were shooting antelope with these guns. I'm like, no wonder we don't have any antelope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another question that we ask, and we've asked every guest that's ever come on the show, what's one non-traditional hunting item that you always have with you when you're hunting? Not a knife or binoculars or a a bow but what's one non-traditional hunting item that you always find yourself with or at least an item that you take hunting <laughs> uh i would have to say merino socks does that count <laughs> i sure. love my merino sure. wool socks sure 
I actually, fun fact, I have not worn. It started off. I, I did a, I did a write up for a company that made merino wool socks, and and uh, they wanted me to go thirty days with wearing nothing but merino for the gym, yes. for yes, work, church. I mean everything. And so I said, sure, yeah, why not? And that was a year, two and a half years ago, and I've never taken those I've socks off put, yet. <laughs> I've not put, um, yeah. I've not put a pair of cotton on my feet in two and a half years. It's it's, it's been nothing but merino all the time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it makes a massive difference. Oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Jim, thank you so much for coming on, man. We appreciate you. We appreciate your support of the Pope and Young Club. Uh, we appreciate Kinetrek and everything that you guys do for us and your partnership. So thank you so much for coming on, guys. Thank you for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. <laughs>